Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Well, good morning, everyone. It's kind of a bummer for me that we're ending this series today. Uh, It's been fun to learn how Jesus loved. It's been fun to use the five love languages as a a template uh, for this series. Uh, The premise of the book is what what makes me feel loved may not be what makes you feel loved. Uh, And we want to learn the love language of the people in our lives so that we can love them better. Because really, life is all about love. Uh, Well, we've been learning what our love language is and maybe what our friends and our family members or maybe our spouse or our kids. uh, We talked about for some, it's words of affirmation. For some, it's quality time. Uh, For some, it's uh, giving of gifts. And for some, it's acts of service. And today, we're looking at physical touch. Now you can tell if physical touch is the primary love language of the person you're sitting next to because they will be sitting real close to you. Uh, They might even be sitting on top of you. Um, If it is their love language and you're not sitting right next to them, you might want to move uh, right next to them. Uh, You know, for any child to be hugged or touched gently or to be held uh, communicates love. Uh, But to the child where physical touch is their primary love language, that may be more important than any other form of love they receive. And this will remain true as they grow older. Now, the master of this love language, like the rest of them, is Jesus. Uh, We're going to look at Jesus and touch today. Uh, It's very, very powerful. To begin, I want to talk about one of the most important understandings of the Christian faith, Uh, what's sometimes called the doctrine of the incarnation. Uh, This is what happened in the story of God and the human race that no one could have predicted. And it's so important that I want to spend a few minutes talking about this at the very beginning of this message. And I want to get into it this way. Uh, Some of my favorite movies are the ones where at the end of the movie, I say, whoa, I did not see that coming. Uh, Movies like The Sixth Sense. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan is known for his surprise endings, but there's a reason The Sixth Sense is still talked about 20 years later. Uh, Or The Fight Club, uh, where you find out Brad Pitt's character is a manifestation in Edward Norton's character's mind. I mean, it's one of those movies where you go back and you watch it again just to find out all the things that you didn't notice the first time. Uh, Or The Usual Suspects. Uh, Do you remember this movie where the majority of it is uh, told from the perspective of uh, Kevin Spacey's character's memories? Uh, In both present day and in his flashbacks, we see him walking around with a limp. However, in the last few seconds of the film, he's walking away from the police station, and all of a sudden, the limp just goes away. And the police officer who questioned him is looking at the bulletin board behind his desk and pieces together everything Kevin Spacey's character said uh, and realizes it was all made up 
on the spot using words and images that he saw while sitting in his office. I did not see that coming. Some of my favorite movies are the ones that have I did not see that coming endings. Now the Apostle John, when he's an old man, starts telling a story. In the beginning was the word. He starts with the same phrase the Old Testament starts with, this great, the greatest story of all, uh, in the beginning. John says, in the beginning was the word. Logos is the Greek word. Uh, we get our word logic from that, uh, reason, understanding, insight, or uh, to be able to study. Uh, biology, psychology, neurology all come from that word. And all of John's readers would have loved this beginning. In the beginning was the word, the logos. Ancient Greeks loved reason, logos, so much that they believed it was actually an eternal, spiritual, divine being that actually ought to be worshipped. Reason reason was so beautiful to the Greeks, uh, they worshipped it. Israel loved wisdom so much, Old Testament writers would speak of wisdom as a person. The writer of Proverbs talked about wisdom being with God for all of eternity. And so when John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, every Jewish reader would have loved that. The idea that wisdom, the Word, wasn't just available to God, that it was actually a part of God's identity. It was his character. It was his essence. The idea that God can't do anything that is not wise. I mean, they would have loved that. And then John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I did not see that coming. No one would have saw that coming. Anne Lamott, a woman who came to faith kind of kicking and screaming, writes about a little girl who was afraid to go to sleep. She would ask her mom to stay with her in her room because she hated the dark and she was afraid to be alone. Finally, her mom tried to reassure her and said, you're not alone. God is with you. And the little girl said, I know God is with me, but I need someone with skin on. Well, Jesus is God with skin on. The word became flesh. I want to say a word or two about why this is so central to uh, the Christian faith. Uh, I understand it can sound kind of a, like a strange idea. Like God really became a human being? Really? The reason this is so important is God wanted to be with us so badly that he became like us. That's part of what love does. It enters into uh, the experience or the existence or the burdens of another person. And God did that for us. And through Jesus, we can also know what God is like. And also, somehow, through Jesus, God knows what we're like. The Word became flesh. You know, this has staggered people for over 2,000 years. Somehow, in Jesus, God knows what it's like to be tired and to be hungry and to be thirsty. Somehow, in Jesus, God knows what it's like to be sick. God hit his thumb with a hammer. God fell down and skinned his knee. God went through adolescence. God's voice changed. God was tempted. God bled. God cried. Somehow in Jesus, God died. I did not see that coming. 
The Word became flesh. Now you'll have to decide what you think about this. But to John, this was not poetry. This was not a metaphor. This was not a a lovely idea. This actually happened. And this matters not because it's some abstract doctrine that you have to affirm before you can become a, a Christian or be called a Christian or before God will let you into heaven. It matters because it means God is not just an idea. If you look at the history of the church in traditions or denominations where this belief is lost, God turns into kind of a a pale, lifeless, abstract idea. And faith doesn't keep its vitality. You see, it matters because God is real and God is alive and God is active and God has inhabited this planet. And God will inhabit your life if you only ask him to. Way back at the beginning of the Bible, the writers of Scripture say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then one day the word became flesh and the heavens and the earth came together as God always intended. And that was Jesus. The word became flesh. Jesus is God with skin on. All right, now for the rest of this message, I want to look at Jesus and physical touch. Uh, I went through the Gospels last weekend. Uh, I looked at how many uh, times the writers of Scripture talk about Jesus touching people. And I was staggered by how essential touch became to Jesus' life, uh, to the way he interacted with people and to his ministry. Now, I realize it's wise right now uh, dealing with a pandemic Uh, to honor social distancing, so we're not touching each other right now. Uh, It's ironic that I'm teaching this this week when we're being encouraged not to touch each other. Uh, Nonetheless, I want to look at a few episodes in the life of Jesus, and I want to talk about how we can express love through physical touch with people in our lives the way that Jesus did. Applying this this week will be limited to those in our homes, But my hope is that we consider physical touch and physical love in the life of Jesus uh, beyond this pandemic uh, because it's vital to those with physical touch as their love language. All right, the first thing I want to look at is the touch of healing. Over and over again, when Jesus heals people, he does it by touching them. I want to look at one instance in the Gospel of Mark that will show the significance of Jesus healing people with a touch. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This is a a very dramatic moment. Anyone who had leprosy in that world was regarded uh, not just as sick, but as unclean. Um, And the law was very clear. If someone touched someone who was considered unclean in that society, that person would be considered defiled. If I was unclean and you touched me, then you would become, you would become unclean. Uh, you would become like a leper. This is why lepers were required to keep a distance of at least six feet away from everyone. If you had leprosy, you were required to tear your clothes. You had to cover your mouth. Uh, you had to cry out with your mouth covered, unclean, unclean. So no one would touch you even if by accident. Leprosy was often thought to be kind of a curse. It was considered an outer manifestation of an inner 
uncleanness. It was often associated with the judgment of God by writers of the Old Testament. It carried a a moral stigma. Rabbis would throw stones at lepers if lepers looked like they were getting too close. Now, in Mark 1, a leper comes to this rabbi, Jesus, and everyone's watching. They're, They're watching to see what Jesus will do. And Jesus, filled with compassion, reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. This leper comes to Jesus like no one touches this guy. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, filled with compassion, Jesus gets an idea. And you have to imagine this scene. Jesus hasn't said a word yet. And he reaches out his hand to touch this guy, and everyone would have gasped. You see, this is loaded. Jesus is deliberately taking on this man's uncleanness. Jesus, a rabbi, has deliberately broken the law in order to bring healing, in order to save another human being. Now it's Jesus and this leper who are unclean, while everyone else is clean. And disciples all look at each other and they think, I did not see that coming. Now, why does Jesus touch this man first while he's still unclean? Jesus didn't have to do that. He could have spoken the word first. He could have kept the law. What is Jesus doing? Well, because the word became flesh, to God, no one is untouchable anymore. To God, there is not a human being on this planet he needs to keep his distance from. See, this is a huge change to a first century person about what it means to be spiritual. In general, in the ancient world, physical imperfection was associated with spiritual imperfection. The temple was to be a holy place, so you couldn't even bring an imperfect animal into the temple to sacrifice. Uh, Pharisees regarded their homes as little temples, and so... uh, People with physical flaws and imperfections were not allowed into their homes. Uh, They wouldn't touch them. But Jesus is touching them. And this happens all through Jesus' ministry. Peter's mother-in-law gets a fever. Jesus touches her. A 12-year-old girl is deathly ill. Jesus touches her. Two blind men in Capernaum. Jesus touches them. There's a deaf man in Decapolis. No one goes near him. Jesus touches him. There's a blind man at Bethsaida. Jesus touches him. There's a blind man in Jerusalem. Jesus touches his eyes. Over and over again, Jesus could have healed with a word, but instead, he healed with a touch. Religious leaders thought they were showing their spiritual maturity and devotion to God by who they wouldn't touch. Jesus showed his devotion by who he would touch. You know, physical touch quite literally has healing power. Uh, There was a study done at UCLA years ago. Uh, People who receive meaningful touch at least 10 times a day live longer than people who don't. So this week, if someone in your home is hurting, especially someone whose primary love language is touch, Just take a moment and reach out. I mean, that's what your hand is for. 
It's amazing with a child, with a spouse, with a friend, with a roommate, if someone has had a hard day, I mean, just the power of touch, just the power of a hand on the body of another human being, especially if you pray for them, can bring healing to their soul. All right, so that's the touch of healing. I know it's a little weird that we're talking about it this week, but um, you can do that for someone in your home this week. All right, number two is the touch of reassurance. Matthew writes in his gospel about an event of tremendous drama where the disciples are shaken. Uh, When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. Now, I love that Matthew includes this little detail that before Jesus says anything, he touches them. They're on the ground in fear and Jesus comes along Do you remember the game Duck, Duck, Goose when you were a kid? It's like Jesus comes along and touches them. It's okay. Don't be afraid. I'm here. Touch has the the power to reassure people who are experiencing fear. When one of our daughters was little, uh, if she was afraid of something, she would raise her hands and say, Mommy, hold you. Uh, Instinctively, if someone suffers grief or loss or sorrow, We hug them. Why? It's because touch can communicate what words can never say. If there's a question you cannot answer or a problem you can't solve, a touch just says, you know what, I'm here for you. And God made our bodies for this. And we never stop saying this. I don't care how strong or smart or rich you are. You never stop saying, mommy, hold you. Maybe you're not saying mommy, but it's to someone you love and need reassurance from. By the way, the writers of Scripture often call the church the body of Christ. You see, the ministry of sanctified touch, you don't have to be afraid, belongs to us now. And I mention this because sometimes this doesn't get practiced. Again, in light of what we're going through in our society right now, it's not going to happen very soon. But this is necessary in the church. I was talking to a woman who's a widow. Uh, She was telling me, not only did I lose the touch of my husband when he died, most of my married friends don't ask me out to be with them very much anymore either. And so I've actually lost the touch outside of my marriage as well as inside. You know, if you're a part of our church, let's just make a deal that when we start gathering in person again, we will make gatherings our gatherings, high touch. Uh, We need to shake hands. We need to put an arm around the shoulder. We need to give a hug, especially for those people who come to church who are afraid or who are alone or who are going through grief. Church should never be a place where people go and don't have someone who's reaching out to them. Now, we want to do this in appropriate ways, and I'll say more about that in a minute. But this week, I mean, look for chances to offer the touch of reassurance to someone in your home. All right, number three is the touch of reconciliation. We often use language of physical touch, a metaphor of closeness or uh, distance, to talk about what's happening in our souls or in our spirits or in our hearts. The very last story of healing from Jesus comes just hours before his death. Uh, Roman soldiers were sent to arrest him And the Apostle Peter decides that uh, he's going to defend Jesus. 
Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Apparently, Peter was a little out of practice with his sword fighting because the best he can do is cut off his ear. Now, there's something about this story that is so moving, it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Jesus tells Peter, put away your sword. This is not, not how I want you to respond. And then he turns to his enemy, who has come to arrest him and kill him. He reaches to his face. It's a real intimate gesture when you touch someone on the face. He reaches to this man's face in this moment when everyone feels hatred and fear. Now, I imagine Jesus apologizes for Peter. Malchus, I'm sorry. You know, I've been working on Peter for three years. I just can't seem to do anything with him. You know, here's your ear back. And then he sticks his ear back on. And then they arrest Jesus and they take him away. And I wonder if Malchus asked himself, you know, what kind of man would waste his last miracle on one who is about to arrest him? I mean, why would he touch me like that? I wonder what Malchus said when he went home to his wife and his family. I wonder when he was older if he would touch his ear sometimes and remember when Jesus touched him and healed him. Kathy and I were at dinner with friends a while ago, and I said something that I could tell was hurtful to Kathy. And there's a moment like that when someone you know really well Uh, Maybe maybe no one one else can tell, but you know know what you you said said hurt. hurt. A few few minutes minutes later, later, under the table table where no one can see, where no one else could know, a hand touched my knee. I'm pretty sure it was Kathy's hand. And that touch was her way of saying, I'm okay. It's okay. We're okay. That touch of her hand was her way of saying, I will not distance myself from you while we're with our friends or try to make you feel isolated or hurt you back. We're still together. I still love you. We're okay. Kathy has a very expressive hand. On the other extreme, I know a guy whose marriage has been one of distance and disappointment and estrangement. And his primary love language is physical touch, especially the sexual part of their marriage. Yet as the relationship grew more and more distressed, physical distance became the way that she would communicate rejection. And this is so sad. He said one night in bed, he rolled over and his foot happened to touch her leg and she recoiled from him in her sleep. He talked about how painful it was that this dynamic of distance and avoidance had become so deeply embedded in her body that even when she was sleeping, it was at work. They have a lot of issues to work through, but if she could just touch him on the arm or grab his hand and look him in the face, I mean, his love tank would start to get filled up so fast that it would amaze her and it wouldn't cost her a thing. You know, if you're in a relationship where there has been this kind of estrangement, you don't have to solve everything to just touch one another. Now, I know this will raise a question for some people. What do I do if someone in my life has physical touch as their primary love language, but it just doesn't come naturally to me? I grew up in Chicago, and I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of Swedish families. I didn't see a lot of people hugging and touching each other. A friend of mine literally never once saw his parents hug each other. He literally never saw his parents holding hands. He literally never once 
saw his parents kiss. Guess what his wife's primary love language is? It's touch. He said, I'm not a toucher. My parents weren't touchers. Their parents were not touchers. We're just not touchy people. Uh, Swedish people actually have their own love language. It's food. So what do I do if it's just not natural and I just don't feel comfortable with physical touch? Uh, There may never be a time when you actually feel comfortable with physical touch if you were raised in a family where you just didn't touch each other. But if you reach out a hand, if you just give a hug, it can, over time, feel less and less uncomfortable. And you know what? Even if it doesn't, this is not about feeling less comfortable. It's about love. And love is not about my comfort. Love is willing to express discomfort in order to will and to act for the good of the people I love. All right, number four is the touch of blessing. People were bringing children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples had a problem with this. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Uh, This this is a picture of extraordinary beauty that was quite unusual in the ancient world. Uh, In the ancient world, people were not all sentimental around children like we are today. Uh, Children were regarded as the lowest on the status pole. Uh, That's why Jesus sometimes uses them as a picture of greatness in the kingdom. Uh, With Jesus, children were made to be touched, uh, made to be loved. It's interesting, I've learned this week that children whose bodies experience love uh, through touch, they develop better emotional lives. Um, Their brains develop quicker. They become closer relationally than those who are never touched. It's so interesting. Again, this would be unusual in the ancient world, uh, in a very different, non-sentimental culture. But with Jesus, parents knew my child could be blessed by his touch. Parents were bringing little children to have Jesus touch them. Uh, People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Uh, The disciples think Jesus has more important things to do, but actually Jesus doesn't, because to touch and to love is to bless, and he's always looking for those who are the least likely to be blessed. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You see, to refuse to touch is to dehumanize. And so Jesus would touch those that would not be touched by other people. He would touch them to bless them. There's a story about Jackie Robinson. Uh, You may have seen the film 42. Uh, It just kills me every time I see it. Uh, The the racial racial hostility hostility in a stadium is uh, pouring out of the crowd. Uh, People are shouting the N-word at him, telling him to go home. It's part of the legacy of our nation. Uh, People, because of the color of their skin, were regarded as untouchable. Well, Pee Wee Reese, a white shortstop from Kentucky, walks over in front of a full stadium and puts his arm around Jackie Robinson and just stands there. Uh, Because touch says more than words could ever say. And if you haven't seen this movie, I just want to show you this scene. Uh, This is from the movie 42. 
do you think Pee-wee's gonna score today? Well, I don't know, son. I remember when I was a kid, I saw Honus Wagner play, scored three times that day. I just have to wait and see. Wow, that would be great. fans expressing their displeasure as the Dodgers take the field. Eric Robinson at first, Brad Eddie, Stanky at second, Buddy Jorgensen at third, and the captain, Pee Reese at short. Fans ask any man and they'll tell you the Gillette Super Speed Razor is our honey. Maybe the sweetest shaving razor you will ever use. Look sharp, feel sharp, be sharp. Things say all they want. We're just here to play ball. It's just a bunch of crackpots still fighting the Civil War. Well, hell, we'd have won that son of a gun if the corn stalks would have held out. We just ran out of ammunition. Better look next time, Pee Wee. Ain't gonna be a next time, Jax. All we got's right here. Right now, you know what I mean? Thank you, Jax. What are you thanking me for? I got family out there from Louisville. I need them to know. I need them to know who I am. Hey, number one! You playing ball or socializing? Playing ball, huh? Playing ball. Maybe tomorrow we'll all wear 42. That way they won't tell us apart. And that scene gets me every time I see it. The power of touch. When someone would pray for someone in the Bible, they would lay hands on them because they realize touch is never just physical. It's, it's always a spiritual connection because we're spiritual beings. That's who we are. Spirit and body are mixed together because the word became flesh. Now I need to say something about the right kind of touch and the wrong kind of touch and how this form of expressing love uh, kind of needs to be redeemed. Uh, people who work in this field say every human being has their own definition of personal space, our little kingdom, um, and that is not, not to be, be violated. violated. In the, the US, US, experts say 18, 18 inches from the tip of your, your nose to the next, next person, person uh, tends, tends to be, be intimate, intimate space. space. And you, and you only, only allow intimate, intimate friends uh, to stand, stand that close in conversation. conversation. If, if someone gets, gets too close, close uh, that's, that's when people, people feel uncomfortable. uncomfortable. About, About four, four feet, is personal, personal space. space. Uh, now, now this, this varies from, from one culture, culture to the next. I remember being in Argentina where uh, the, the personal space was much closer. Now, now if, if someone, someone violates another person's personal space, space uh, particularly if it's a man violating the personal space of a woman, uh, that's, that's creepy and, and offensive and a little scary. scary. And, and we, we don't, don't do, do that. that. Also, there's a real important difference between giving someone a hug and taking a hug. I mean, if you're sad and a friend embraces you, uh, that's giving a hug. 
If you have a moment of victory and a friend embraces you, that's giving a hug. If a team wins a championship and grown men are jumping up and down, embracing each other, that's giving a hug. But there's a clingy, needy touch that can actually drain the life out of you. I remember someone at church saying something like this to me. I'm so lonely and desperate. I can't even guilt or manipulate people in my own family into hugging me. I'm a bottomless black hole of emotional need looking for a body that I can suck the life out of. You're a pastor. It's your job. Hug me. That's taking a hug. Uh, we don't do that around Blue Oaks. There's an interesting story in the life of Jesus where he was touched once, and his immediate response was, I felt the power go out of me. You see, only Jesus can heal the needy soul. I shouldn't try to manipulate a human being into satisfying the need that only God can satisfy. Also, because our bodies are created by God to be so important and so enmeshed with our spirit, the wrong kind of touch can be incredibly destructive. Physical abuse in a family, between spouses or uh, between a parent and a child or in any relationship, is wrong and it's sin and it's not okay. Sexual abuse is wrong and it's sin and it's not okay. Unwanted sexual advances are wrong and they're sin and they're not okay. The writers of Scripture talk about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means when I'm dealing with the body of another human being, I'm on holy ground. All right, now, the Word became flesh. Jesus is God with skin on. Now, why would God do that? Well, it turns out human life, your life and my life, is kind of a love story. There's a hero, a prince, uh, the best human being who ever lived. His name is Jesus, and he lives in perfection and joy. And then there's the human race, you and me, all ragged and sinful and hurting. The prince says that he wants to marry her, and he actually becomes a peasant, actually becomes like us, actually sacrifices his life so that one day the prince and his bride Jesus and his church, God and you, God and me, can become one. I did not see that coming. All right, now I'm going to pray as the band comes to lead us in a closing song. Now, God, thank you that into our lives and into our fear and darkness, the Word became flesh, love dwelt among us. God, thank you for the hope that the Word made flesh goes before us, and may that love triumph in our, in our lives. Uh, God, may the touch of Jesus flow through us uh, to the people around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before the band leads us in a song, as it's appropriate, would you just express love to someone around you? Uh, maybe that's shaking a hand. Maybe that's giving a hug. Uh, maybe that's just putting and I'm around the shoulder. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church. 
or download the app today.